Welcome to the Making Business Matter podcast, where actually we're meeting niche leaders, change makers, exciting people that are helping to make business future-proof. And today we're going to be speaking to Natasha Wallace from ConsciousWorks. So a little bit about Natasha, I've got her blurb here, her bio. It's a lady with a particular interest in what causes leadership discomfort. She recognises that leaders are time poor and under pressure, and it's helping them to focus on who they are and where they need to be so they can achieve the best results for themselves and their teams. She's got a career in HR leadership and organisational development. She has roles across a range of sectors and her most recent role was as a people and development director, which has blessed her with a depth of practical experience for building cohesive and impactful teams. And now her work is all about sharing this with other people. Welcome, Natasha. Really great to be interviewing you. First and foremost, I want to find out a bit more about you. Oh, actually, I've already found out a bit more about you. We've had a bit of a conversation. I want the people listening to this to find out a bit more about you. So who are you and why do you do what you do? Okay, so, well, I, I've spent my career working in HR, sort of predominantly in organisational development um, roles um i mean i've always led hr teams um but i've always had a sort of particular passion for how do you create great cultures and how do you optimize performance in business whilst keeping people happy because i've always believed that those two things should sort of work in um, synergy with each other um so my career has seen me manage um culture change projects uh, lead the development of leadership development programs and sort of co-design co facilitate those um, and do a lot of work around sort of talent management and career management um, and I spent you know 10 years in professional services up until starting my own business so that was quite interesting actually being with an organization for so long um, because it's about how do you sustain um, the performance um, how do you put things in place that are actually going to work for the long term and I worked as part of a partnership and our whole sort of modus operandi I guess was to it, we called ourselves a succession partnership so we were developing people for the future so we wanted to put as much into people and get them um, as uh, I guess developed as we could because we would hope that you know some of those people would take over the running of the business in the future so I guess I was immersed in a world where sustainable performance was really really important and I guess that's that's part of what I do now is how do you help leaders to work in a way and operate in a way run their businesses in a way that they can achieve performance because that's ultimately what we are trying to do in organizations, but without sacrificing well-being. Um, and I burnt out myself. So I I didn't achieve high performance without sacrificing well-being. So that was sort of my own personal experience. And that was a real wake-up call to me. So about three years ago, I, I hit the wall, so to speak. And it was a real surprise for me because given that in my mind, I was somebody who understood how to achieve sustainable performance and also how to take care of people. I guess part of the role of an HR professional is making sure that you are, you are taking care of the people. But I, I didn't take care of myself. And that taught me an awful lot about being a leader and achieving good results and I, I'm massively achievement orientated so I'm, I'm sort of quite driven in that respect but how do you do that in a way that enables you to um, live a long healthy happy life at the same time and I think for modern day leaders that is a challenge. I think it is when you talk about sustainability as a HR leader and you know, the teacher of people you have to be walking the talk um, as teachers, as, as leaders in, in the leadership development space, you, it's okay that you can read stuff from a textbook, but if you haven't got the scars to prove actually this is how it works and this is how it benefits other people, people yeah. tend not to see a certain amount of credibility or they won't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they just don't believe you. Well, you, yeah. you can tell me that. Mm. Actually, how's it relevant to your life? How's it relevant to my life? What are those experiences you're sharing that actually make me want to actually live by what you're teaching me 
yeah absolutely and I think I guess that's that's why I'm quite lucky to have had the experiences I have because I've been you know an employee a leader somebody who's working with the board to try and um, drive performance um, and I've also developed leaders so I feel like I've sort of seen all sides of it and I have made my own mistakes you know as a leader I didn't get it right all of the time um, sometimes I, I got it quite badly wrong so I you know I've certainly learned from that and I've learned from my own burnout experience so almost sort of triangulating all of that knowledge I I now are really trying to I guess help leaders avoid that same fate I mean it's interesting actually I can remember getting to a point when I was running um, uh, the, the people and development function in my last role and things had gone relatively well for a few years I mean I think you know even on reflection I think that we we delivered pretty good performance our engagement levels were already pretty always pretty high I had a good relationship with the team um, it was a growing team so it ended up being quite big um, in the end um, but we did get to the point where I knew that my team were overworked I knew that um, their customers, so, you know, leaders in the business weren't always happy with what we were doing. And there was a bit of resistance and pushback. So they had to deal with some difficult, challenging conversations and situations. Um, and I knew that, you know, they, they all wanted to do a really good job. But I was so in it. I was so close to the situation. I, I knew that I needed to improve things for them and make the environment easier for them and remove some of the sort of obstacles and strain um, on them. But it was really hard to do that. And I, I almost wish there was somebody like me who was able to come in as an objective person, um, like a safe person. And, who shine I have... and shine a light on it for you to say, yeah. you need to see this. Absolutely. And I would have wanted that person to go and speak to the team and have honest conversations with them and come back to me and say, this is actually what's going on. So I could go, oh, OK. And even if that was about me, um, I would have wanted to have to have heard it. And I think that's what that's what being a conscious leader is about. Like sometimes you have to hear difficult stuff. You have to be willing to hear things about yourself. You have to be willing to change things. You have to be willing to, I guess, get a bit more uncomfortable before you get more comfortable for the sake of the greater good. Um, but I didn't have that. And, and actually I ended up on this hamster wheel of having the same problems, going around with the same problems, not being able to fix them. And, um, you know, it was, it was massively frustrating and challenging as a leader. And I think it's Neil Donald Walsh said, you know, that life begins at the edge of your comfort zone <laughs> and to expand as, as leaders, as parents, as entrepreneurs, we have to be a conscious enough to say actually i don't know this i don't have all the answers i can see this is going down and have a little bit of forethought and that long long game you were talking about earlier okay what's going to happen if we continue down this road does it you know is it positive or negative and then having the ability to say do you know what we've gone down this path far, far enough actually this isn't okay we either need to change track and jump across or we need to backtrack and then take a different yeah. route with a bit more clarity absolutely um, a lot of leaders, I think when they're so far in the trenches, they suddenly think that they can't own up to this. They can't put their hand up and say that they were wrong or they've made a mistake. And they feel like they've got too far in to pull out. And then something breaks and something catastrophic yeah. happens. Yeah, definitely. I think also as leaders, you sort of expect yourself to have the answers. So I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be able to figure it out. Um, but the I mean, I've certainly learned the power of co-creation is awesome insofar as speaking to two or three people outside of yourself to get their perspective and input can be the thing that really unlocks the the answers to the problems um and i see i mean i see i see you know when i say leader i mean anybody who has got responsibility for people so you know you might call yourself a manager um but you're still you're still responsible for leading people um, and I see junior managers and fairly young managers in the same in the same situation. I don't necessarily think that this is something that comes with um, years and years of experience. You get given responsibility for other people, 
And very often you think, okay, well now I need to know exactly what I'm doing. And so you don't necessarily speak up about the challenges that you're facing or the, the difficulties or the discomfort you're feeling um, as a manager. And so you, you just knuckle down and get on with it and hope for the best. But actually, I believe that when you are a manager or a leader, there needs to be that sort of almost shared leadership and maximizing um, the knowledge and the wisdom and the opportunity to co-create around you. So you're like, yeah, I am leading this team, but I won't have all of the answers. So who do I need to speak to or who can I speak to that can help me on this journey? Because it's hard. Leadership is a really, really challenging um, role and it takes a lot of mental energy and it takes a lot of your reserves to to think about yourself and a whole other people at, a whole other pile of people at the same time and what I've learned is that you know more often than not we don't even know how to take care of ourselves to prioritize our own work to focus you know our attention on what, what matters most for ourselves but then you you know scale that to to a whole team and it becomes even more complex so the more support you can get from the people around you the, the better and, and that fundamentally you know all of the research shows that that is one of the aspects that leads to high performance in teams is shared lead, leadership and that uh, sort of cooperation and commitment and, and doing it together and I agree the challenge is though when we go from manager to leader because there is a distinct difference mm. more often than not you know we've been making widgets doing whatever we're doing and then someone says oh you're doing a really good job at that here have a responsibility to look after the people that are making the widgets mm. do a great job don't screw it up we'll see you in 12 months if mm. you're lucky we don't get the training to do that and more often than not what we do is we end up doing or repeating exactly what was done to us by the previous person and we just repeat the same bad habits because we don't have enough leadership development in place or or decent role models in the environment we're in and we don't go and ask questions for fear of looking weak and being reprimanded for it and more often than not we don't ask because the people that we do ask don't have the answers either because we're just repeating what they did previously so when you talk about that conscious leadership is you know, like you say it's about being aware it's about wanting to ask questions it's about also having a certain skill set to ask yourself the questions and mm. um, i have always said to people i've learned some of the greatest leadership lessons from some of the worst so-called leaders that i've worked for because i didn't want people to feel the way that i felt after having been spoken to that way yeah. so i wanted to do something different um but that takes a different level of self-reflection and it takes you know a certain raft of questions to be able to make that happen as well and, yeah yeah absolutely and i think in reflection to what you were saying is um the thing that and this is what i learned a few years ago the thing that you lack is the thing that you need to give so that element of of actually you needed someone like you right now the person that you've become to actually walk into your organization and say by the way i can see this this and this you might need to tweak this this and this and it's going to feel like this and you're like oh and all of a sudden the weight comes off and now you know that looking back on your life in retrospect and seeing those fantastic things and those experiences that you've had you can now give that to other people yeah. that will enable them to move through the pain quicker so that they don't end up suffering yeah absolutely and actually you know i i have the benefit of working with young managers new managers and also you know highly experienced leaders What's, what's really great about getting to work with people who have got less experience is that they're less set in their ways. They've got less fixed ideas about the, ways that, the way that things should be. So actually, you can have a conversation with a, a relatively new manager or even a manager that's been in post for you know, a, a couple of years and say, actually, I think what's going to work there is this because of this context and because of these people, etc more often than not they just go oh yeah okay great off they go and they just do it differently and that's amazing and you know so i think the opportunity to work with people at the earliest stages is is hugely valuable and important um because i think you know they, a bit of fixed mindset can creep in the more experienced you are so i think you've got that sort of dichotomy of um feeling like you need to know the answers as a leader um, 
having probably got quite a lot of great feedback over the years, which has led you to being a leader in the first place. So, you know, potentially a little bit of ego creeps in and you believe that you possibly do have a lot of the right answers. Um, and then there's the fixed mindset thing, which is the extent to which you are actually willing to change and make mistakes and learn from them. Um, I had definitely become a little bit fixed in my mindset when I, you know, I'd led teams for 15 years. I mean, I was a really young manager and I, and, and, you know, for the most part it had gone okay. I mean, on reflection, knowing what I know now, I can see that it could have gone so, so much better, but it had gone okay. Um, but I had become quite fixed. So I didn't realize that, for instance, I, you know, dominated the conversation quite a lot of the time. I didn't realize that I was quite happy going away and working on a project on my own and then sort of giving it, giving the answers to the team because I believed that I could probably do that. And now I coach other leaders who are doing that. And I will say to them, what's stopping you from speaking to the team now? Speak to the team now. Find out what they know, what they, you know, what they think now. And they're like, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, okay. And then they go and do that. And there's some lovely co-creation that happens. Um, but, you know, once again, I didn't have me saying that uh, when I was in that role. Um, and it's only now that, you know, I'm able to do it and able to work with leaders to, to challenge them to think this differently and to, you know, explore whether they maybe are a bit fixed in their thinking in a safe way, because I don't need them to deliver. I'm not in the company. I don't need them to deliver certain results. My main aim is to enable them to be at their absolute best so that they can. And then it's up to them. And I think that's the wonderful thing is, you've become conscious of what you're doing. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you questions about, you know, what conscious person is and conscious culture. You've become conscious through your own pain, your own realizations and reflection. You work in an organization, which is then giving you the space to work with their people, which means they've got a, a want and a desire to, to wake up and make some positive changes for the business internally, externally, all those things. And then by you sharing those experiences with people that are earlier in their journey, they, and we know this as conscious leaders and, and coaches, they will supersede us. They will go further than we ever did. And the Isaac Newton quote, I think, is about standing on the shoulders of giants so you can see further. You get to be the giant so someone else can stand on your shoulders and go even further. Yeah, and it's absolutely. such um, uh, an energising experience to be able to give that to someone or ask that question where you get to hear the pennies dropping for that individual and they go, now I get it okay, I'm going to do that. And you just pass the wisdom on. And it's just such yeah. a, a liberating feeling. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking before we, like, before we go, I'm going to ask some couple of key questions here for you. So what is a conscious culture and workplace for you? So the term psychological safety is banded around quite a lot at the moment. But in my view, it's about creating an environment where people can actually be honest with each other. So people can speak up without, I guess, the fear of there being sort of repercussions. Um, and it's also an environment, and it's not just the leaders that, that need to take notice, although it starts with them. It's paying attention to what's really going on. So when I left my job, um, I bought these three monkeys that sit on my windowsill in my living room. So, you know, the see no evil, spin, speak no evil, hear no evil. Um, because I wanted it to be a constant nudge, a constant reminder that actually it isn't okay to just leave problems and leave people to have to deal with their own problems. Um, as a conscious leader, you have to, you have to get, get involved with that. You have to try and figure it out. And I think a lot of leaders don't necessarily know how to fix the problems, so they sort of avoid them. But I think that it's, you have a, an obligation to your people as a leader to remove the strain and obstacles to them being able to do the best job because fundamentally i see this every day people do just want to do a good job you know they want to go to work they want to bring value they want to be recognized for delivering something contributing something to the bigger to the bigger picture um, they want to you know have some meaning i guess in what they do people don't just go to work for money even if it's a, a background motivator for some people. And so you have to create an open environment where people can speak up. And that also 
is, is about making sure that people feel included as well. So it's about noticing who's speaking, noticing who's not, creating the, the space for the people who maybe don't speak up as much to speak and allowing them to express themselves. I mean, and also, you know, we're hearing so much about mental ill health now and this current crisis that we're facing, unfortunately, is likely to lead to an increase in mental ill health, um, either during the crisis or after it. Um, if you don't have a culture where people can come and say, you know what, I don't feel okay, like I'm not doing my best work, or the role that I'm in at the moment isn't suiting me for whatever reason, or the environment that we're working in, or the ways that we're working, or whatever, isn't enabling me right in this moment to be at my best, unless, unless somebody can bring that, and unless a leader is willing to go, okay, well, you know, talk to me, talk to me, how do we make this better? you actually are just suppressing performance. So it's a misnomer to think that not talking about this, these problems means that performance will be sustained. It won't, it'll be suppressed. So you have to, you have to create that space for open, openness and honesty. I speak to people regularly actually about the fact that their role isn't quite right for them or it's not exciting them or they feel bored or... And actually, when you have an honest conversation with somebody about that, it, more often than not, you can figure out how they could tweak their role slightly or tweak the way that they're working or the conversation that they need to have with somebody in order to remove the blockers. And they felt like they had no agency, but through creating that space for the conversation, they did have agency. So I think that's, that's really about consciousness. You know, if you know the, the iceberg analogy, of what you see on the top isn't really what's going on. It's everything that's going on below the surface of the water that's the real stuff. It's all the, you know, the water cooler conversations, the conversations down the pub, the slack chats between groups of people who have spun off to have a moan about what's going on in their organisation. It's, it's the double signals that people see happening. So the incongruence between what the leaders are saying they want and what's actually happening because the behaviour doesn't match the words. All of that underground stuff angst anxiety frustration all of that needs to be raised up to the surface so that's the sort of negative side of it and then there's a positive side so i get hugely excited when i work with teams because i don't just work with the leader of a team or the leaders i do i do that work but sometimes i get the opportunity to work with people from right across the team or even the whole team um, and at the moment I'm working with a whole company so I get to speak to all of them and you get so much opportunity to see the energy the bright spots the ideas the excitement the enthusiasm the the knowing that you get within the broader system if you only ever look at, at the leaders who are leading the system you simply do not get under the surface of the problem because as a leader you'll make an assumption about what's going on but you don't necessarily know the truth so, so going under the surface and dealing with everybody in the system means that you actually have this clarity and this energy. I mean, I was working with a client a few weeks ago and I had worked with a few of the people in the team and there was a few just brilliant people in the team, not in the management structure, in the team, who were like, we could do this, we could do that. I think this is the problem. I think this is getting in the way, but this could be better. And if we just did this, da, 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 da. And I said, and the, and the client said to me, you know, what should be our strategy for making things better? Can you put a proposal together? And I said, you literally have everything you need in your team right now. Ask them. Under one you'll, roof. You'll figure it out. Don't need a consultant to come in with a, you know, a fancy strategy. Just speak to your team. You'll figure it out. You might need somebody to structure that to put some framework around it to facilitate some conversations but you definitely don't need the consultant to come in and tell you how to fix it um you know you've got that and i think what happens is people get stuck in the hierarchy and they think the people up here can't speak to the people down here and actually if you look there's a gentleman that i've followed for a while called giles hutchins uh, and he works in a very environmental framework so the oak tree in kind of size scale is no more or no less important than the ant. In fact, the ant wouldn't exist without the oak tree and the oak tree probably wouldn't exist without the ant. 
So you have to have all of those things working together and co-creating and having conversations in safe environments and feeling psychologically safe to have conversations with the CEO and, and to share ideas to help the, the, whole, um, the whole system to thrive. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it takes time to build trust. And I will say to companies sometimes when they're talking to me about how do we create this culture, you know, I will say you're going to have to give it a little bit of time because there'll be some sort of ingrained behaviours um, that you will need to intentionally shift in order for people to trust each other. Um, you know, there was a great study that was done by Google. They called it Project Aristotle, and they wanted to find out what um, led to high performance in their teams. They wanted to sort of almost get the essence of what, what high performance was. So they looked at 180 of their highest performing teams to try and figure that out. And they looked at all the normal things that we as HR professionals, leadership consultants back in the day would have looked at. So, you know, diversity, intelligence, um, you know, project type, experience in role, expertise, all of those things. They didn't find that any of those were the difference makers. The difference maker, the most significant thing was trust and the ability for people to speak up and take what they call into personal risk. So we now know through heaps of research, not just Google, I mean, Amy Edmondson has done a ton of research on this. She published her book, um, The Fearless Organization, last year, which is really, really great. I would really recommend any leader to pick that up because it's actually, it really clarifies what does lead to high performance. And it, and it needs to be an environment where you have high standards. So you're driving for results. You know, you expect people to deliver good work. This isn't about creating a paternalistic environment where we protect everybody. That's not what psychological safety is. It's about this is what we want to achieve. This is where we're going to head. This is what we want to deliver. These are what the targets are. You know, we expect everybody to play this role and we want you to be able to tell the truth. Those two things can absolutely work in synergy with each other. You don't need to be the sort of nurturing parent. Uh, no, and I think there's a parental element that comes into it. You need that, you know, you need that transparency. If it's not working for one person, more likely it's not working for 80% of your organisation. It's just that people sit in that bubble and they're worrying or they're thinking what someone else thinks, thinking of them, so they don't actually speak up or share that, that problem. And then that psychological safety starts to break down. And it's a phrase that I'm not... Um, not versed to and i was going to ask you what is psychological safety and you've covered that um so have the trust and actually be able to share that and actually support the whole you know top to bottom left to right all of those things to be able to speak to the right people not moan to the wrong person next to the printer absolutely um, which isn't yeah. going to make the change in the world yeah. um leading on from that then what is a conscious person in your opinion okay so I mean, it's, it's somebody who is aware of themselves, um, who spends time reflecting and considering um, how they're feeling, how they're acting, the impact of their behavior. Um, they will create the space for that. So, you know, you, need, you almost need solitude to be able to reflect. And in this bonkers, crazy, chaotic, complex, world I, I i almost said vuca now i'm saying vuca even though i can't stand the term vuca but anyway in our volatile you know uncertain world um it can be really really hard to find the time for reflection and contemplation and to consider um the impact you're having or how happy you are or how well you feel you know i went from thinking I was really super happy and well within six months to being very unhappy and very unwell. You know, my experience affected my physical health. What I recognized is actually my physical health had been compromised for years. And it was only at the point that I broke that my body just sort of gave up, but I had put myself under strain for a very, very long time. So consciousness is about being aware and, and creating the space for reflection. I mean, I meditate a lot. I'm not, I'm not suggesting people need to go off and meditate. It, it certainly helps me, but it is about the creation of space. You know, people exercise, you can get into a sort of transcendental reflective space when you, when you run, um, going for walks, being out in nature, in the shower, you know, all of those times when you, when you've got quiet, 
I mean, I know, I know an awful lot of people, you know, especially younger people, they're almost scared of being quiet. They're scared of not having something going on around them, music playing, something going on, you know, on their phone, um, the TV on in the background. It's not just younger people, but it's, it's definitely something I've, I've noticed and recognised. But unless you actually clear everything away and allow your time, allow yourself some time just to be very intentional and to consider what is going on for you, it's uh, you, you won't be conscious. Um, and that, you know, that I think that's a lifetime of work, really. I think it's a lifetime of work to create that space, to consider who you are, to consider whether you're at your best, to consider whether you're having the right impact or the best impact on the people around you, to, to find out what your purpose is, um, the extent to which you feel well and, and satisfied. All of those things just need some attention. Um, I mean, I work with people on that as a coach. Um, you don't have to have a coach, but it is useful to be able to speak to other people about those things as well. Um, often you learn a lot about yourself from what you learn about other people. So if you get really curious about others, then it's a really great um, reference point for understanding yourself. Because as humans, we, we really do like that comparison. You know, that's why we're so binary, sort of yes or no, wrong or right, we, we, we like to have something to compare against. So, you know, getting curious about other people and, and getting interested in other people actually is another way of developing yourself as an individual. Amazing. The definition that I have of love, which is kind of a bit of a strange tangent to go on a business podcast like this, is not to do with happiness. It's the ability to give someone else the mirror or trust, trust someone enough to give them the mirror so that you can see yourself and all your faults in it. That for me is the definition of love. As coaches and leadership trainers and developers and culture changers, we can see what's going on because we've lived some of that path. We've got the battle scars and you know we've been vulnerable enough to dig into that reflection. Yeah. So we now have the opportunity to hold the mirror up for other people and help them to get more switched on to what they're capable of, what they're going through, the roads they're going down, just so they can see it. Yeah. And the, the other part, you talk about that reflection and you say it is a lifetime of work. And I have, it is a lifetime's work. And at the same time, though, it's a very small amount of action that's required to make that change. And sometimes those, for me, I have a very busy brain. I've got, you know, this, what I refer to as the merry-go-round carousel of ideas that's constantly swirling around in my head. And I can't afford to have distraction because there's already enough on there. So sometimes getting that peace and quiet and attempting to meditate is very difficult as a leader. Having the right questions, though, inside my head in a very short format focuses my attention. Um, and I say to people, the quality of your day is dictated by the quality of the questions that you started with. So it's having that initial kind of reflection piece of oh, what's working, what's not working, what can I do to improve this, what's the next action? Who can I help today? Where am I going to create the biggest impact? So by asking those questions, like you say, it's kind of that binary equation. Is it good? Is it bad? Okay, yeah. what's the answer I've got? How's that moving me towards purpose? How's that moving me towards fulfillment? And how's that helping me develop the team so they can be more successful in what they're doing? Yeah. And, and asking a couple of key questions just to get that one degree shift every single day. So that when you do get to the end of your life, that has compounded over a course of time and you have discovered a completely different country like Christopher Columbus did by accident. You know, it's that sort of stuff, which is really important. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Next question for you. Why is it then important to be culture conscious as an organisation? Um, I mean, th there's some very sort of straightforward commercial reasons. Um, as long as people don't feel enabled to do a good job, it's going to be impacting business performance. Um, as long as people are having conversations away from their leaders and managers, um, disgruntled conversations, you know, disenfranchised, frustrated conversations, they're not being sorted out. It will be impacting performance. As long as people aren't getting what they need in their roles, and they're not fulfilled and they're not motivated and they're not infused, um, it will be affecting performance. Um, and if people haven't got the environment 
to be able to stay well. And I mean that in the broadest way. So physically well and mentally well, the ability to concentrate, focus, um, prioritize their work, have good relationships, respond in a good way. You know, all the things that we need people to do to do good work. If the environment doesn't support that, it will affect performance. Um, people won't be um, in work, so they'll be absent. They will be in work, but they won't be doing as good a job as they could be. Um, they'll be distracted. They won't be able to focus. You know, they won't be having the best quality conversations with your customers, with the, you know, the stakeholders. I mean, basically, unless we know what the truth is, unless we know what the hell is going on, um, it will be impacting performance. And of course, that's the last thing that any leader, shareholder, individual doing a job sort of wants. We all want the same thing. We all want to be able to go to work and do a good job and produce good results. The amount of times I'm working with teams and when I talk to them about what it is they do want to achieve as a team, so what does high performance or good performance look like for them? The majority of the time they talk about mastery, excellence, um, high standards, high performance, that they want that. They want to do a really good job. Um, so the creation of a conscious culture is around how do you make sure that you're close enough to what's going on and what could be getting in the way of people doing even better work in order to clear that away so that they can get on and perform. I mean, there's, there's two pieces. So there's a piece of research that was done um, and a paper published recently about what leads to, leads to burnout. And the two things that came across in that paper is that obstacles and strain are both significant contributors to, to burnout. And that leaders need to be making sure that those are cleared away so that people can do, do good work and so they can, they can perform. Um, and the, another thing, um, there was a book written around um, continuous performance management. I can't remember the authors. Uh, I read it last year um, where they talked about the fact that they've discovered now that the majority of underperformance actually stems from environmental conditions not will and capability, which is historically what HR would have been supporting managers to try and deal with. So it's less likely to be because somebody doesn't want to do a good job or because they're not capable of doing a job and more likely to be the environmental conditions they're in. So it could be resources, it could be systems, tools, processes, policies, leadership, management that was going to be my next question is it also the people in that environment that challenge that as well yeah absolutely i mean at the end of the day we all form part of the system so you know the tools and the resources and the processes and the ways of working are important to provide the infrastructure for a team but actually most of the work i do is around the the relational stuff it's the interrelations between people both on a sort of peer-to-peer -peer level and also on a from a more sort of leader manager to individuals level um, when you enable people to have better quality conversations with each other and, and as coaches that's you know that's a lot of what we do it can really create a better environment so i will often be working with teams to um i guess raise awareness of what do we want to achieve so get people talking about that what, where are we now? What is the gap? And what types of conversations and ways of working do we need to focus on in order to get us there? And most of the time when you bring that stuff up, when you, when you create the space for those conversations, and when, as you were saying earlier, you ask the right questions, and I guess that's, that's the great thing about, you know, our work is that we, we, have, we have learned how to ask questions that open up conversation and help and enable people towards where they want to go, um, then it can be really, it can be really transformational, um, especially when you're, you continue that. It's not, it's not a one-off intervention. It's a way of working. If we're constantly asking ourselves these questions and we're constantly doing that sort of as a collective thing because we want to be better, then, you know, the, the results are sort of exponential, really. And so whenever I do a gap analysis for myself or doing it with clients or whatever, I know it's kind of one of those cliche tools that we use. Coaching 
is one of the few skills or is a skill and knowledge and a behavior all at the same time. So like you say, it's not, you know, we ask a couple of questions, it's not a one-off intervention. You can ask the same question every single day for the rest of your life and still get a one, two, three degree shift in thinking, outcome and results. So when you start to build that in as a culture, as a behavior and a skill inside a team so they can do it for themselves and with the people around them, that trust and business growth is just huge. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was, I was also thinking the other thing is, Another thing that I talk to people about is I believe that people aren't defined by their environment. I believe they define their environment by what they put into it. And it comes down, I think, to kind of that resourcefulness. And don't get me wrong, I think you know, 80, 90% of the world do get caught up in their environment. Um, and they do believe that they can't make a positive change because they're stuck in a certain job or they're stuck with a certain kind of leader. And they believe that they don't have any power or ability to move that. And it comes down to that resourcefulness actually if we have the right questions available we can start to look at things in different kinds of ways and the strange analogy that came to my head and i'm wondering if you know the millennial types that are watching this may even know this but we used to watch the a-team when we were kids so saturday <laughs> afternoon was watching the a-team and you'd see you know these guys would come in to save the day and then it would all go terribly wrong and they'd all be trapped in a barn um now these five four or five guys or whatever trapped in a barn um without any kind of ways to get out of the problem. And then somehow they will come up with this ingenious idea with a gun that shoots cabbages out of a coffin or something ridiculous and save the day. But it was purely because they were using the, they were using the skills they've got. They were looking at the resources around them in their environment and asking the right questions and actually coming up with new solutions. And that's just the same for entrepreneurship, for business and for leaders. We just have to start looking at things differently, looking at people differently, looking at ourselves differently with a certain level of optimism, ask some better questions and get some better results and create that culture that you know you talk about. Yeah, and I must admit, in the last 12 months, more companies are asking me to help them to create coaching cultures. Um, and, it, and that goes way beyond the ability to, to ask questions and listen, which is sort of, I guess, the two foundational skills of coaching. It is about trust. It is about understanding yourself and your beliefs and what drives you. It's about understanding your biases. It's about being able to have difficult conversations. Um, you know, having honest conversations. That's a really important aspect of coaching. You ha if you're shining the mirror, you can't only, um, you know, bring up the bits that are really good. You've got to, you've got to look at the bits that don't feel very comfortable as well, you know. You've got to um, see all of it. Absolutely. And it's about the, the ability to show compassion. And that means you can't tell people to be compassionate. You have to give them insights into other people's worlds. So, um, you know, that's, that's such an important aspect of being a coach because I guess we come um, and, and are able to do our jobs because we can suspend our belief to some extent and we can limit our judgment because it's it's the very nature of what we have to do to, to be good coaches so in working with leaders I I will help them to develop their coaching capability by understanding themselves a bit more by becoming more conscious of who they are by becoming a bit more conscious of, of other people in the team's um, reality and then through building that that understanding and helping people to um, empathize and understand each other more you become a better coach and you become more curious and curiosity I mean curiosity is often uh, something that comes out of coaching when I'm speaking to individuals about how, how they how to solve their problems and you know I say I'll say to them you know what, what questions are you asking oh well you know I'm not really asking that many questions well, you know, what, why not? Why are you not trying to get under the skin of that? And very often just becoming more curious and asking more questions rather than being in solution mode or in, um, I have no agency and I just have to take this and um, do what I'm told mode means that people don't get what they want because they haven't, they haven't shown up as a curious person. Agreed. And also asking that question, what's the reason you're asking that question? You talk about that trust and that rapport and that non-judgment. And what's the reason you're asking? Are you looking to prove a point or, you know, just prove someone wrong? Or actually, are you genuinely interested in this individual's growth and development and creating that relationship? 
Yeah. And when I, sorry, Nathan, when I trained to be a coach all those years ago, I'll always remember um, something that we were, we were taught then. And it is when you're asking a question, who is this in the service of? Is it in the service of you or is it in the service of them? Um, and I think sometimes as a coach, it's sometimes a bit in your service because you're trying to help somebody get to where they want to be. And so it's not totally in the service of them. You know, you need, you're, you're, you're trying to help them achieve results. And so you have some skin in the game. Um, but yeah, I think as, as leaders and managers, really being aware of um, who it is in the service of when you're having a conversation with somebody can be quite a good frame to guide your questioning. And I'll say it a million times, probably between here and the day I die is, you know, who is the most important person in the conversation? And I will live by that mantra by myself. And I teach that to everybody else as well, because you know, if at any point when you're having, when you're having that honest conversation with people or you're doing the coaching and you're like, who is, who is the most important person in the conversation? You know, is it, are you making me look bad? You're making my results look bad. You're making my team look bad. Or actually, is it all about actually how can I help you improve what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think this, I think there could be quite a lot of conflict there for a leader because at the end of the day, they do have to get results delivered and there's a commercial aspect to this. But I think if you start from the position of criticism and fear, which is you're gonna make me look bad and so therefore we need to do something about you, you're, you're, you're almost certainly not gonna to get to where you need to be. You need to start from the position of how can I enable you as your leader to get you to where you need to be. And if we keep on trying that, or if, we, or if I've given you as much support as I think I can, and it's still not working, then a different conversation is required. But the starting point should absolutely be about how do I get you to where you need to be. Absolutely, and you may find out they're not the best fit for that role. But in the conversation, you find out they're a better fit for somewhere else in the organization or they're a better fit in another industry and you support that individual wholeheartedly so they can go and do what they're actually designed to do and create that fulfillment and purpose in their life. It's a no-brainer. No, otherwise, we just don't go home feeling fulfilled as leaders because we wander around firing everyone because we think they're making us look bad. And <laughs> that's not okay and on a human level, let alone a business yeah, level. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'm just thinking, you know, right now we're... I want to say we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think we're in the middle of it. I think we're just scratching the surface of the current circumstances. Mm. So how do we bring this stuff to life in amongst COVID-19? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, what instantly comes to me is adult-to-adult conversations. Um, everybody knows what we're going through. You know, employees and leaders are seeing the same news. Um, you know, we know it's tough. And unfortunately, for a lot of businesses, it's affecting the bottom line. Um, it's, it's affecting their long-term futures, you know, and it's, it's a real worry. I mean, there's some practical things around um, how you can make sure that you, you know, keep your, keep your cash flow and your runway steady. Um, things like try not to make redundancies, furlough people instead. Um, you know, the government have created this amazing scheme whereby we can pe keep people employed on 80% of their pay. Um, if you can only afford to give them 80% of their pay um, and you can't top it up, fine. If you can top it up, top it up, put them on furlough, try and just, you know, keep things steady for a while. The sort of practical things that you can do. There's been a lot of knee jerk reactions that have gone on over the last few weeks with you know, large organizations making tons of people redundant. And now they're sort of backpedaling to, to bring them back and furlough them. And some of them aren't, which is a shame. Um, there's, there is a risk that you will get this, this situation and potential performance issues mixed up. So, um, you know, don't use this situation to start dealing with performance issues if you can help it. If this is a really difficult time for people, and if you can furlough them for a certain period of time, and if you then need to deal with performance issues at the end of that period, then do that. Um, but I would say let's try and keep people as steady as we possibly can during what is a mentally demand demanding, anxiety-inducing period of time. So that's some sort of just practicalities. In terms of the support that you can give to your people, 
I would say get people, keep people talking, stay connected to them and co-create the answers. So with one of my clients, um, Clearview, it's a tech company that I work with. Um, we jumped on a call last week, most of the team and said, right, this is, you know, this is a difficult time. How are we going to get through it? And what is each person doing to deal with this in their own way? And that created what we called our practical survival guide. So we actually created a survival guide that everybody co-created in the whole team. Um, so rather than HR telling people what they could do, or rather than the leadership team advising people on how they can deal with this situation, it was co-created. So use the opportunity to co-create solutions, co-create the answers. Um, and, you know, never has there been a time where we've needed to be more conscious. So as leaders, it's about intentionally connecting with people, making sure people know, know what the priorities are in this new world, keeping them up to date with what's going on in the business, because we all know that sort of a lack of clarity or a lack of communication during times like this just increases anxiety, which will lead. So we're back recording. We had a technical glitch there, um, but we are back together. So Tash, floor is yours. COVID-19, how we bring conscious workplaces to life and conscious culture to life in this time right now? Yeah, well, I, I've talked a little bit about how you deal with it sort of organisationally and within teams, but there's a, there's a personal um, thing here insofar as, you know, you need to be consciously aware of how this is affecting you. And we are all being affected in different ways. What I have noticed is this is putting quite a lot of mental strain on people. So even people who maybe don't feel as though they're highly anxious or highly stressed about the situation, I'm hearing lots of people saying they're having to go to bed earlier in the evenings or they're getting much more tired or, you know, their normal evening routine that they'd normally have energy for, they don't have energy for. And it's because, so normally, you know, 95% of what we think is the same as we thought yesterday, what we do is the same as what we did yesterday, how much of what we do and think at the moment is the same it's just it, there's so much more going on we've had to change the way we're working we're having to sort of reinvent our businesses we're having to change the way we communicate with people we're having to pay lots more attention to people at work for parents who are working at home they're sort of having to blend being a parent and homeschooling into their working day the amount of energy that actually expends in terms of your sort of mental capacity is immense and it's why we are on automatic pilot so much because our brain needs to conserve energy and the best way to do that is to repeat the same program over and over and over again and that actually helps us to be effective and efficient um, but at the moment you know it's very difficult we're having to sort of shift so so much of what we're doing so just be aware of that you know that you're tired for a reason um, you're waking up in the middle of the night for a reason. Even if you don't feel consciously stressed about the situation, you could be feeling subconsciously stressed about it. Um, and you need to take care of yourself. You know, this could last for a while. We may be at home for a while. Um, and so don't, I would say, don't look at this as some sort of two week blip. This could be the way that you need to continue to work. So I think getting into a routine, um, making sure you are getting exercise, making sure you are getting fresh air, making sure you are taking time out for yourself and you are getting space. Um, I mean, you know, I, I would recommend things like uh, meditation and journaling for those people who, who that sort of sits well with. For, for other people, just make sure you're getting some time to yourself to do things that you enjoy, the things that make you happy um because you know we need to try and keep ourselves resilient during this situation and also you may be dealing with people around you who don't feel resilient right now and that's also very very demanding and it can put a lot of pressure on you so being just making sure that you are um aware of where you're at and how you're feeling is important so um, you know, with some of the teams I work with, we do the one to, one to 10, how are you feeling today? Just as an opportunity to sort of check in, think actually, how am I feeling today? And it's amazing, you know, the scores can go from sort of two or three right up to nine or 10 because we're all in sort of different places at different times. So just pay attention to that. Great. And I think it is 
there are going to be waves of emotion that come through this period and it's not just going to be through this period it's going to be after this period there's going to be ramifications of certain things that happen where people have got mental health challenges and they're being brought into close proximity with people and that's going to bring up other challenges which are going to unearth and expose other things and again it comes back to that idea of trusting to be able to speak to the people around you in your family space, inside your workspace as well. So if you're working yeah. from home and things aren't okay in the family space and you, you know, yeah. it's, it's having those joined up conversations and helping yeah, each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as we find and expose certain things, things are going to change. You know, I, I can't remember the post I shared, but it was, you know, we don't want to go back to normal because it's the normal basically that got us into the situation that we're in now. So this is a huge amount of change time, you know, time yeah. to change and to embrace that change and enjoy it. But it's going to take a hell of a lot of that trust. It's going to take a hell of a lot of that psychological safety. It's going to take a hell of a lot of conscious leaders and conscious thinkers and conscious culture because your workplace has just changed shape completely mm. to actually, you know, to foster those people and incubate those, those environments. Well, and if we look at some of the attributes of of a high-performing team, um, being able to share emotions and storytelling, they're really important. And at the moment, you know, you've actually got a a reason to to do that, to actually express how you're feeling and to to open up conversation around that. Um, It's around showing vulnerability. And that's something that people now have the opportunity to do because we're all in this together. You know, this has really leveled the playing field. This has put us all into the same situation where, you know, people will understand why you're going through what you're going through and what, you know, what you're going through. So use it as an opportunity to to create um, that connection in the team that will lead you to higher performance longer term. Um, It's a good opportunity to, to build that togetherness and that connection. Yeah. And something else that came to mind is, you know, the longer term ramifications. We build the relationships now in these small moments where there's going to be anxiety, there's going to be emotional tensions that come up because we, you know, we feel confined or caught up. Actually, in 12, 18, 24 months on potentially when things have gone become, you know, the brave new world that we're heading into. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's going to be some points in that where we come back to this and trauma is relative. Yeah. And actually, it's about being alert enough as a leader to go, do you know what? We all did that together. I'm feeling like this. It's likely the people in my team will be feeling like this. Whether yeah. it's on the, on the micro or the macro level, doesn't matter. This stuff is going to come back to remind us repeatedly until we process some of those emotions as leaders and workers as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And just really switching into this. Have the conversations. Build the relationship now, get emotional acuity because you're going to need it for 12 months, 24 months from now as this thing continues on in a different way and, and life changes shape as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh such a, I enjoyed this. I mean, I've enjoyed the several conversations that we've had already. Thank you very much, Tash, for your time. The last part for me, where, you know, where can people find you to have more of these conversations? Okay, well, so they can go to my website which is uh, conscious-works.com. You can email me at natasha at conscious-works.com. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. If you you look up Natasha Wallace, um, my book, so The Conscious Effect, 50 Lessons for Better Organizational Wellbeing, you can get it in pretty much all of the online book retailers. And I've had, what's been so lovely is in the last week or so, I've had quite a few people get in touch with me to say, I'm rereading your book now because it's really helpful to me now because it talks about how to understand yourself and take care of yourself and how we deal with stress and ambiguity. So a lot of the messages I wrote, I guess, 18 months ago, all of a sudden are uh, things that people are trying to figure out. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's worth a read. That's a shameless plug, isn't it? It's not a shameless plug because what you wrote about 18 months ago was relevant in one space and very necessary. It's now even more poignant and even more relevant and even more necessary right now as we stretch our connections in different ways across the, the virtual workspaces. Yeah. And actually remembering what is culture. Is culture just where we sit in our office or is culture... Um, a an environment we incre- we create and co-create with the people that are most important to us. Yeah. That's the important part. 
So not a shameless plug, The Conscious Effect, 50 Lessons for Better Organisational Wellbeing, a practical guide for leaders building inclusive cultures. Buy it, read it, enjoy it. The sound effect was on purpose, I'm excited about that. Please go and find Natasha Wallace's work. She's doing some great work. I love having the conversations with her. I love sharing with her. And one of the reasons we wanted to share with Making Business Matter for you guys. Um, we're also doing some extra things, talking about mental health. We're also producing a deck of cards for mental health wellbeing to help leaders ask the right questions of their people in emotional times. And we will also be providing this over the next week or two. Hopefully by the time you listen to this, this will be available. Um, Tash will be sending you a copy as well so you can use that and, and shamelessly plug them for us at the same time all right fantastic of course ah amazing thank you very much and thank you very much for listening we look forward to getting you on the next episode and we'll speak to you soon thank you